Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, Tom Hartman here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. It's supported by advertising. So after this brief message, we'll get right into it. Our podcast today is brought to you in part by Phone.com, where right now you can get two free months of their base plan plus 20% off any service for life. Just text my name, Tom, T-H-O-M, to 511-511, or use the code Tom, T-H-O-M, at Phone.com today. Certain restrictions apply. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Well, we had an interesting election in North Carolina's ninth. This was the election where the original Republican candidate back a year and a half ago had hired a guy to go around collecting absentee ballots from people. And if they voted for Democrats, throw their ballots away. And so the Republican victory was thrown out. And a new election was held. Donald Trump went down and held a rally and promoted the heck out of it. And uh, a lot of us thought Dan McCready, the Democrat, might actually win. But instead, Dan Bishop, the Republican, won, in, and I put that in quotes, by 4,000 votes. Into this fray steps our old buddy Greg Palace, the investigative journalist, author, filmmaker, his most recent The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, which you can see over on Amazon Prime and all that kind of stuff. GregPalace.com is his website. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Palace, just like I'm Tom underscore Hartman. Greg, welcome back. Glad to be with you, Tom. So uh, you're one of the best guys at telling the undisclosed story, the hidden history, what's really going on. What actually happened in this election in the 9th District of North Carolina that allowed a, or that caused, or whatever the appropriate word is, a uh, Republican to win by a mere 4,000 votes? Okay. It was daylight robbery, Tom. I have been investigating North Carolina as I was investigating Georgia for the past six years for Rolling Stone, Al Jazeera, and Salon. And we did a massive investigation in North Carolina. Uh, you have to understand that the 4,000 votes supposedly won by Dan Bishop is absolutely the result of massive Jim Crow racial vote suppression tactics. In particular, the fatal bullets were fired by our old friend Chris Kobach's cross-check. Really? Yeah. You know, it's been reported correctly that cross-check is now dead. We killed it, Tom. You're welcome. And, um, <laughs> however, it still removed uh, well over 100,000 people in North Carolina, a massive number in the night. And I just wrote something at gregpalace.com about this. When I went to North Carolina... You have to understand, I, I saw Kim Strake, 
who was the head of their board of elections. Now, it's supposed to be nonpartisan. She said she was nonpartisan in removing voters. However, her husband was the general counsel for the Republican Party of North Carolina. Oh, my God. That's how nonpartisan it was. And she was the one who allowed the steal of the 9th Congressional District in the first place by 900 votes by that illegal absentee vote vote harvesting. Right. So, Greg, we're constantly getting new viewers and listeners to this program. And so a lot of people may be listening to this conversation and they have no idea what you're talking about when you say Chris Kobach and when you say cross-check. In a minute or so, can you encapsulize or summarize what interstate cross-check is, who Chris Kobach is, and why and how this thing got to North Carolina to throw people off the voting rolls? Okay. Chris Kobach, Republican operative, Trump's vote thief and chief, created, he was Secretary of State of Kansas, he sent out to several republic to about the 30 states, lists of voters he claimed were registered in two states or voted in two states, which is a felony crime. He sent over half a million suspect North Carolinians to this Republican hit girl, Kim Strake, running the voting operations of the state. Over half a million suspects for double voting or double registering. She went before the legislature and gave absolutely perjured testimony saying she had 100% proof that at least 155,000 people in North Carolina, by the way, overwhelmingly black voters, had also voted in Virginia and other states and she had their social security numbers. She even hired an FBI agent to go and arrest them. He worked for one year and couldn't find a single double voter. However, in the meantime, they removed somewhere close to 200,000 voters from the voter rolls of North Carolina because they are on this cross-check list. And I met some of them. I went to North Carolina for Al Jazeera and Rolling Stone. Like Antonio Thomas Hayes, who is supposed to be the same voter as another guy named Hayes in Virginia with a different middle name. Hmm. And if you go to gregpalace.com, you can actually see the hit list that the Republicans used, and you'll say, see that the names, the people they said voted twice or registered twice in two different states, almost none of the middle names match. Wow. But what you do know is almost all those names are of African Americans. I went to one home after another, after another, after another, black, 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 well, Hispanic sometimes, Asian sometimes. In other words, Democratic blue voters. That's the main way that they were purging the lists and to prevent people from getting back on the rolls when they showed up and said, oh my God, my name isn't here. The state used to have same-day voter registration. So if your name is missing, you can just simply re-register when you went in to vote. Right. The GOP legislature took that away. There was no longer same-day registration. So if they steal your vote, you can't correct their racial hit on you. If you're erased, you're erased. The other thing is Reverend William Barber, Common Cause, NAACP, and other groups have gone to court to try to fight a list of nasty Jim Crow tactics. To, re- to cut the vote, and it way overwhelms the so-called 4,000-vote majority of, of Jim Bishop, which, uh, excuse me, Dan Bishop, which was, you know, minimal. For example, they used to give high school graduates 
a registration form when they graduated. That's not allowed. Not only that, it's illegal to register a student on a high school campus or a college campus. They're treating it like selling crack cocaine, giving out a registration form. And they cut early voting. 70% of black people vote early in North Carolina, 70%. So they cut back the period of early voting. You know, these are the games. These are just some of the games. It goes on and on. You should read their 60-page lawsuit or go to my website and at least see the summary of the information. I mean, it was such a racist, raw steal. And yet, except for Stacey Abrams, you still don't have the Democratic Party uh, leadership uh, talking about elections being stolen by racial vote suppression. The good news, by the way, I want to announce that Stacey Abrams has graciously hired my entire expert team Mm -hmm. to go into federal court in Georgia to make her explain her case about why the election was stolen from her, but also to stop future steals. I would love to see that from the North Carolina Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah. Have you talked to anybody in North Carolina? Well, not the Democratic. Yeah, I've talked to Democratic politicians. I actually Mm -hmm. talked to one Democratic politician. He said, oh, Kim Strake is a very uh, straight shooter. She was great. She was fired because of the theft of the ninth a few months ago when she was caught red-handed doing nothing about it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this is a Democrat saying that the wife of the chief counsel of the Republican Party is nonpartisan, didn't complain about the false testimony about cross-check. So you just don't have... You know, you have a strong Democratic Party. It's a purple state. Mm-hmm. And you now have a new Democratic elections board. But I don't see them taking any action to reverse the Jim Crow tactics. Yeah, it's amazing. Democrats across the country really need to know this information, and they need to stand up and fight back. Greg Palace, the website, gregpalace.com, P-A-L-A-S-T. You can tweet him at Greg underscore Palace. And his uh, latest work, The Best Democracy Money, you can buy an amazing documentary. Greg, thanks so much for dropping by today. You got it. Thanks, Tom. Good talking with you. Anyhow, a lot going on. Picking up your phone calls. Dale in Harmony, North Carolina. Hey, Dale, what's on your mind? Yeah, I'm from the corrupt state of Harmony, North Carolina. Cool. What we've got out here is not only just our legislature and all is corrupt, the agriculture department is corrupt, too, because we got so much cover-up going on. And they refuse to educate the farmers on what's going on about the health of their animals there because of the sulfuric acid contamination that's in the feed and everything, wet mill in the industry. How does uh, sulfuric acid get in animal feed? That's the uh, way they break down the starch in there in that wet milling process. Ah. They, they, it's, it's done in the human process, too. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the way they make high fructose corn syrup. Huh. Break down the starch and the oh, corn, separate the different ingredients. Yeah, I, re- I remember something about that. Yeah, because high fructose corn syrup is made the, basically in a lab. It's not yeah. a naturally occurring thing. Huh. Yeah, it's a chemical process to make uh, starch turn to sugar. Right. And uh, those byproducts are going into all kinds of animal feed, your pet feed and everything there, and it's, it's causing neurological nerve damage. Huh. And it's the same thing with the humans there. If a pregnant mother animal or human eats that stuff, it damages that unborn fetus more, I'm going to say a hundred times more than it does the adult person because it damages soft tissue first. Right. That's what's causing all this B vitamin deficiency, polio and stuff like the 
affected flesh and mellitus, I have an idea that it's a real big factor in on that. It causes uh, white muscle disease, MS, all that kind of stuff right there. And so plus, you're seeing uh, these diseases in animals and the state of North Carolina's ag department that should be providing farmers with good information about how to avoid these problems is not doing it? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they've refused the educational program that I've been asking for for years because there's none of the doctors that want to get up truth on this because those doctors know that we have uncovered the truth on it. They basically quit having meetings there. Huh. Plus, yeah. poison to food-producing animals is classified after 9-11 as a terrorist attack. Look, we've been asking for an FBI investigation into this, but, you know, the Agriculture Department... They block that because uh, there's some kind of law in there that says that the FBI don't investigate nothing in agriculture without agriculture. Right. Well, it would have to be interstate commerce. Dale, that's fascinating. Thanks a lot for the call. I'll have to look into this. You know, until last year, I'd never endorsed a weight loss product, but decided to change that after reading about university research into a molecule in olive oil that regulates appetite. My wife convinced me there was one that was worth sharing, and a year later, I had to say she was right. Louise said once her appetite and cravings were under control, losing weight was easy, and she's kept it off. And now Sean is trying Ridgizone, too. Sean really is liking Ridgizone, uh, says she's not hungry between meals and feels full longer, and finally has her sweet tooth under control. Plus the fact that the only ingredient in Ridgizone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant appealed to Louise and to Sean as well. And it would to me, too, if I was struggling with weight. Sean says she's really impressed. Listen, if you're looking to lose weight this season, I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Ridgizone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to Ridgizone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. Ridgizone, R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Promo code TOM. Ridgezone.com. Corey Gardner and Susan Collins tweets Matt Rogers will never live down the shame of voting for a sexual predator to be on the Supreme Court for life. Thus, their take on Brett Kavanaugh. This is getting interesting, and it's one small piece of a larger issue, frankly. But just to keep focused on Kavanaugh for just a moment, everybody's talking about, you know, another woman has come forward, another guy who went to college with Kavanaugh has come forward and said, yeah, he's pulling down his pants and exposing himself in front of women at parties. Apparently there's, there's like two now corroborated, confirmed, multiple witnesses, events like this. And that's certainly unseemly behavior, illegal behavior, you know, by today's standards, horrible behavior, by the standards of 20 years ago, inappropriate behavior for this sort of thing, and worthy of being condemned. And that may be what takes him down, which would be fine with me. I mean, you know, they, they went after Bill Clinton for getting it on with Monica Lewinsky. But there are other issues that are being completely eclipsed by this that I think are at least as important that have to do with Brett Kavanaugh. First of all, he worked for George W. Bush. This is a guy who had never actually practiced law as a lawyer, to the best of my knowledge. Maybe if he did, it was very briefly. Uh, basically, he worked for George W. Bush for years in the Bush White House, apparently working on torture and war and things that 
apparently would reflect so badly on him that the Republicans would not, literally would not allow any of the hundreds of thousands of documents from his time at the Bush administration to even be examined by Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee that was you know, overseeing and recommending his appointment as a Supreme Court Justice. So number one, we don't know to what extent Brett Kavanaugh enabled war crimes. War crimes that led to the death of hundreds of thousands of Iraqis, the displacement of over five million Iraqis, the torture of numerous Iraqis that when it was photographed at Abu Ghraib and, and those pictures went around the world, devastated the world's opinion of the United States. Now, Brett Kavanaugh may have been the lone voice opposing this in the Bush administration, for all we know. We have no idea. Or he might have been a cheerleader for it. But the media is not discussing this. It's almost like, well, you know, they really don't like to discuss the possibility of Brett Kavanaugh or anybody else basically being a war criminal. And this is serious stuff. I mean, this is serious, serious stuff. And frankly, we need to be looking at this. This Kavanaugh scandal goes way beyond just a sex scandal. I mean, way beyond just a sex scandal. So we have that, number one. Number two, you have this question of what happened to his debt. Brett Kavanaugh was apparently hundreds of thousands, at least $100,000 in credit card debt, which is, I mean, how many credit cards do you have to have? Typically, you know, lines of credit on a credit card are 10, 20, maybe $30,000 at the top end. How many credit cards did he have and how much debt did he have and where did that debt come from? Is it gambling debts? Is it drinking debt? You know, was he paying for furniture for his house on his car? I mean, we weren't allowed to look into that either. Or who paid off his debt in the months before he went before the Senate? Who does this guy owe his loyalty to? Was it a bribe? Was it a payoff? We don't know. And finally, Brett Kavanaugh, the only reason that Donald Trump was able to put him on the Supreme Court was because Justice Kennedy, who was apparently fit as a fiddle, I mean, you see him when he retired, and he's just, I mean, he looks like he's just great. He's in great shape. Decided to retire. And he decided to retire at about the same time that the news reports were coming out that it was his son, Justin Kennedy, who was in charge of the real estate lending division of Deutsche Bank, who may have been overseeing the loans to Donald Trump and his companies. So did Kennedy leave to create a space for Kavanaugh because of political pressure? Did Kennedy leave to create a space for Kavanaugh because he was concerned about his son being outed? Elizabeth Warren just introduced legislation. Actually, she's doing it today. She's going to, down to New York City, to Manhattan, to the place where the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire was. And as I recall, 1909, um, you had a bunch of people who died, uh, virtually all of them, uh, women who were working, uh, you know, garment, garment workers, young women. Some of them jumping out windows to their death because they were locked in in order to force them to work. I mean, this was one of the major things that led to the effort to unionize workers in the United States. The GM, you know, UAW going on strike today, by the way, nationwide, 50,000 people.
But anyhow, um, Elizabeth, and I'm going to tie this back to Kavanaugh. Elizabeth Warren is laying out an anti-corruption plan, and part of it is that federal judges cannot stop an investigation into their ethics just by resigning. Now, I had no idea that this loophole was even in the law. But it turns out that if a federal judge is being investigated ethically, you know, if, if there's an ethic investigations into a federal judge and they want to stop the investigation, all they have to do is resign. It's what Trump's sister did when the New York Times reported that Trump and his sister and apparently other of his siblings committed a massive multi-hundred million dollar tax fraud in order to get more of what in today's dollars would be over a billion dollars from his daddy that, you know, to avoid paying taxes on it. And so Elizabeth Warren is saying, hey, you know, let's stop this. Well, you know, that, that, and those anti-corruption measures that Elizabeth Warren is proposing may well also focus on Brett Kavanaugh. But, you know, the bottom line is we really don't know. We don't know about his school behavior because it wasn't investigated. The young woman who came forward, not Christine Blasey Ford, but, you know, Ms. Ramirez, who came forward and said, yeah, he, you know, he exposed himself to me, too. The FBI was apparently told, don't even talk to the people who might corroborate her testimony. FBI agents came out and said, you know, we've been stopped from doing this. By whom? I mean, there's a lot more to this, to this Kavanaugh scandal to this guy that Cory Gardner and Susan Collins and pretty much all the other, I mean, it was a 50 to 48 vote, right? All Republicans voting for Kavanaugh, all Democrats voting against him. Excuse me, all of the votes for him were Republicans. There were two people who didn't vote, but, and I don't recall exactly when that happened. One of them might've been dead John McCain, but in any case, Cory Gardner and Susan Collins, this, this is going to be an issue in their, in their campaigns. But I think that this is much bigger than just Brett Kavanaugh exposing himself to people. You know, everybody's hysterical about Felicity Huffman. Oh, my God, she spent $15,000. Parents, some, you know, another actress, I think Lori Laughlin or uh, whoever, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, spent over 100000 but you know, basically bribing her daughter's way into college. And, oh, isn't this terrible? And it's, you know, on the front page of the Washington Post and all this kind of stuff. But I don't think that's the real bribery scandal in America. I mean, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a stupid thing. And I guess making it a national story is a way of trying to discourage other people from doing this kind of thing. But the real bribery scandal, well, let me provide a context for it. If you ask Americans, do you think that the federal government should be able to negotiate prescription drug prices? Right now, Medicare, which is the single largest purchaser of prescription drugs in the United States, right now, Medicare has to pay full retail one pill price on everything. Medicare may buy a million tablets of an antibiotic or five million tablets of an antidepressant or, you know, fill in the blank, right? And in fact, they are. No doubt about it. They're buying millions and millions. But they have to pay the price that you would pay if you walked into a pharmacy and said, I want to buy one pill at the full retail price. And this is a $600 billion a decade subsidy 
$60 billion a year subsidy to the pharmaceutical industry. You ask Americans, should the federal government be able to negotiate prescription drug prices the way that the VA does or the way that you know, uh, health insurance companies do? 79% of Americans say yes. So why can't the government negotiate prescription drug prices? Because of the real bribery scandal. Because these big drug companies are giving money to politicians. In fact, a remarkable study here. Big Pharma bribed Congress to the tune of $2.5 billion over the last decade, giving money to 9 out of 10 members of the House and 97 out of 100 members of the Senate. You have tens of thousands of Americans literally dying every year because of this bribery. But is that on the front page of the Washington Post? Nope. It's Felicity Huffman. 71% of Americans, including 56% of Republicans, say that all Americans should have access to a debt-free college education. But the banks spent millions bribing the Republican Party. Chuck Grassley's 2005 Bankruptcy Reform Act, which made it a crime for somebody with student debt to try to discharge that with bankruptcy. You cannot declare bankruptcy on your student loan debt. Used to be the only thing you couldn't declare bankruptcy on was taxes. Now it's taxes and student loan debt. This was the banks lobbying for this. 71% of Americans think you should be able to declare bankruptcy. And you should, in fact, they go beyond that. 71% of Americans think college should be debt free. And yet, as the Wall Street Journal notes, quote, colleges and universities have become one of the most effective lobbying forces in Washington, employing more lobbyists last year than any other industries except drug manufacturing and technology. That's a real bribery scandal. 71% of Americans think that everybody in the United States should have the choice of being on Medicare. 71%. This isn't Medicare for all. This is just Medicare as an option, the public option. 71% of Americans, 63% of Republicans agree with this. And yet the health insurance industry spent $158 million last year bribing members of Congress to maintain their billions in profits. Green New Deal, 71% of Americans support that, including 55% of Republicans. Expand Social Security benefits, as Elizabeth Warren proposed last week, 70% support, 62% of Republican voters. Getting corporate executives out of revolving door government positions, 59% of Americans, 55% of the GOP. Guaranteeing net neutrality, 61% support among Americans, 62% of Republicans. Breaking up big banks, 71% of Democrats, 51% of Republicans. Restoring the top 50% income tax rate that Reagan nuked. 71% Democratic support, 53% Republican support. Bringing back FDR's government as the, as the employer of last resort job programs to rebuild America, 83% Democratic support, 60% Republican support. Every single one of these issues going down in flames. Why? because the Supreme Court said it's okay to bribe Congress. That's the real bribery scandal. How have these bribery scandals affected you? The media is all hysterical about Felicity Huffman spending 15,000 bucks to get her daughter into college. That's nothing compared to the bribery of Congress by the pharmaceutical industry, by the oil industry, by the health insurance industry, by the big banks, by, I mean, literally, nakedly, openly spending hundreds of millions or even in some cases, billions of dollars 
buying Congress, and not just our federal Congress, our state state legislatures as well. And yet nobody seems to be talking about that. We had a caller in Seattle who said that the uh, local ABC station gave her less than useful information about how to find the Democratic debates, and as a result, she wasn't able to record them. I also got a note from somebody saying, Sinclair, I tried to watch the debate live, debates live, but Sinclair misled us by putting the debate on the schedule an hour after it started, and then it didn't cover the debate. And a good thing I understand, Sinclair affiliates ran horrible anti-democratic ads, including morphing AOC into a skull. I don't get my local news from Como 4 anymore as it intersperses right-wing propaganda ads into its programming. We have this problem with the Sinclair affiliate here in Portland, too, and it's, uh, it's grim stuff. Len in Silva, North Carolina. Hey, Len, what's on your mind? I just have a question about the Felicity scandal for right. with their 14 days. What's happening with yeah. William Macy? Wasn't he involved in this? Well, he's her husband, and I don't know. I wasn't, you know, the judge. I don't I, think this was a jury you know, thing. I, I, the only people that seem to be being put before a judge are the women. Well, I'm guessing that it was the women who were, these were daughters. A lot of child-carrying responsibilities, you know, no matter how egalitarian we think our society is, fall to women. And so apparently it was the women who were going in and, and negotiating these deals. I think in the case of, of Lori Laughlin that her husband might be involved. And I thought that Macy at one point was involved, but they've just gone after Huffman. But Len, I, I just don't know. I don't, you know, I don't have the details and I'm not on that program. Paul in Sparta, Wisconsin. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I've been listening to all this uh, negative publicity this actress Felicity Huffman's getting for mm-hmm. you know, paying her money for her for her kid and everybody's complaining she's got a little bit of jail time well what about the sackler family right i mean they made billions of dollars and they killed well over four hundred thousand people and they knew it they promoted it yeah and the news over the weekend that the sackler family apparently has smuggled a billion dollars out of the company but i'm with you this is uh, sick no pun intended you're listening to tom hartman So picture your face in the mirror. See all those wrinkles around your eyes? Crow's feet, large under-eye bags? Now imagine they're gone. I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery. Just gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe it? I didn't either until I tried it. Now I don't have to imagine anymore. My under-eye bags, wrinkles, and crow's feet were gone in minutes. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear so nobody will know you're using it. Unless, of course, you tell them. And the effects last for hours. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M, for half off, 50% off, plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get rid of your wrinkles, under-eye bags, and crow's feet today. Visit TryPlexiderm.com and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at checkout. That's TryPlexiderm.com or call 1-800-685-1292. John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Yeah, um, I just wanted to say that, you know, our whole political system, media system, has been so subverted by all of this corruption and also our government enforcement. 
it cuts across the board that the political will of the people is not going to be uh, really considered important until we get money out of politics. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's a terrible thing, but this is just a fact. You know, I know people that have been working in enforcement as far as regulatory agencies, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's just... Uh, terrible. And I think that it cuts across the board in all countries, but they seem to be able to take care of it much more because their political systems and their media systems are not completely as completely corrupted as ours. And it's not hopeless. We certainly can change that because if you don't do the political will of the people, eventually they just get to the point where they're just not going to cooperate anymore. But a lot of people, unfortunately, they're not active. They're cynical about it. And at this point, they just want to make their lives as comfortable as possible and forget about it. Which is a perfectly normal response. I mean, you know, this stuff should actually work. It should be that when the majority of the people want something that doesn't infringe on the rights of a minority, that that gets done. If the majority of people want Social Security expanded, it should be expanded. If the majority of people want access to Medicare as an option, it should be given as an option. If the majority of people want Medicare to be able to negotiate prescription drugs, it should happen. None of those things are happening. Because in 1976, the Supreme Court in the Buckley decision said, it's fine to bribe politicians. It's called free speech. And then they doubled down on it in 78 in the uh, First National Bank versus Bellotti decision. They said, hey, and that applies to corporations, too. And then they tripled down on it in Citizens United in 2010. We've got to change this stuff because this corruption, this this is the real bribery scandal. And I wish the media would use the Felicity Huffman bribery two weeks in jail thing as a stepping off point to talk about the larger bribery scandal all across our country, because John, you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. Thanks a lot for the call. Deborah in Parker, Colorado. Hey, Deborah, what's on your mind today? Eric Holder came out on CNN cautioning the Democrats not to prosecute Donald Trump because it would set a wrong precedence. What he's really saying would set a precedence for a president to commit treason, money laundering, and corruption. And that makes him above the law. That's not democracy. That's dictatorship. Yeah, I I agree. I didn't see Holder's interview. He's the very person that let the banksters go free, that economy. Yeah. And I just think that that's pretty spineless. One other thing that I, I just want to say quickly about Medicare. You have Paul Ryan, who he retired. He has government health care. John McCain had brain cancer. He had government health care. All of those people all in office all have government health care. It's great health care. Everybody wants that kind of health care. They just don't want us to have that kind of health care. Biden wants everybody to get on the public option. But what that does is it allows the Republicans when they get into office to pick it apart. Now, with Medicare, nobody could pick that apart. Nobody will want to let go of it. Well, Biden's public option, just like Buttigieg's and and Harris's and others, is Medicare. Medicare still doesn't pay 20% of your costs, so you still have to have a supplemental policy from UnitedHealthcare, so the health insurance companies win no matter which way. And that's why Medicare needs to be fixed first before it becomes a public option, which is what what Warren and and, uh, Sanders are saying. That would be better than, than getting a public option that can be picked apart. Yeah. They all want government health care. They just don't want us to have government health care. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. You, you, made, you made that point, Deborah. You made it very well. Thank you. Uh, amen. The Trump administration is fighting against itself, essentially, in court before the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. They are saying that because Obamacare 
the only rationale that John Roberts could come up with to save Obamacare back in 2012 was to say that the individual mandate was a tax and the Constitution authorizes Congress to tax and therefore Obamacare was constitutional. Well, in 2017, in the tax cut, the Republicans built into that a provision that eliminated the individual mandate fee, which was the tax that John Roberts was pointing to. It used to be, you know, you had to pay 100 bucks a year or something like that if you didn't have health insurance. Roberts said that's a tax. So now they're going back to court, 20 Republican-controlled states and the Trump administration. They're going back to court now before the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And if this goes to the Supreme Court, it'll come out next year in the summer, just before the election. And they're saying, you need to tear down all of Obamacare because the tax is no longer there. We did away with the tax, and the tax was the basis for saying that Obamacare was constitutional. And so therefore, you need to just destroy the whole thing and go back to a world where the insurance companies, if you get sick, they can simply cancel your insurance policy. If you've been sick in the past, they can refuse to write a policy for you or quote you obscene prices. They can play games with which doctors you can see and which ones you can't, and all this kind of stuff. You can have lifetime caps again so that if you have an expensive condition or a chronic condition, the insurance companies can cut you off or simply refuse to insure you in the first place. But anyhow, let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Well, the business about it not being a tax with respect to Obamacare, and therefore that throws it out, this is a reducto absurdum because if it's no longer a tax, so neither is there a mandate. But, but that doesn't make the law unconstitutional. And to say that John Roberts, the only thing he could come up with was that it was a tax. Well, no, there's something much deeper here. And I don't know if you've come across this in your book on the Supreme Court, but there was something in a 1938 case called United States versus Caroline Products Corporation, a footnote, probably the most famous footnote in constitutional law called footnote four. And what it talked about was presumed constitutionality with regard to congressional legislation regarding economic or economic regulations. What he was presuming was that it, in order for it to be constitutional, it was a tax. And if you're going to say, oh, it wasn't a tax, it was a penalty, and that's not constitutional, that is not in keeping with footnote four. And if people think, well, what is this all about? Actually, in 2013, as I was just prepping for my remarks on this topic, I saw uh, an article in The New Yorker that Ruth Bader Ginsburg cited footnote four. Actually, she talked about it, and she didn't cite it in her opinion, but she cited the case of Caroline Products having to do with her dissent in another case about whether uh, colleges can take race into consideration for admissions. This is an important concept, but what she said in this article is in the past generation, and it's particularly within the Roberts Court, they've essentially thrown out footnote four, and the effect has been to essentially politicize the court, because footnote four is probably the only thing that describes when the court should consider something unconstitutional or when it should be considered constitutional. Strict scrutiny was suggested in footnote four when it comes to basic rights and laws that discriminate. So there were two edges to that sword. But what I wanted to say was that with regard to... Obamacare, you know, here's the problem with it. It's still the same old private insurance-based system. It really didn't change anything. So we're no closer to a single-payer system under Obamacare than we were before Obamacare. As a matter of fact, this is what people need to understand. Obamacare was passed in 2010, 
and implemented in 2013. But this was the Republican plan that Chuck Grassley and Orrin Hatch submitted in 1993 to oppose Hillary Care. Hillary Care was supposed to be more or less a right. single payer system. And this is, by the way, what Mitt Romney did as governor of Massachusetts. That's right. It's called Romney Care. What the, Re- the Republican plan was called HART. Health Equity and Access Reform Today Act, with the acronym HART, was written by Milton Friedman out of the Heritage Institute in 1989. So, in other words, we're, we are living under what the Republican plan is. And if people want to think it's a failure, then that's the best we can do under an insurance, a private insurance-based system. Yep. So, if, the, if they're going to throw it away, okay, maybe it's going to have to hurt. When we, got, when we have people who want to be as absurd as Donald Trump and what we have, then maybe we do have to start over. And when we start over with, uh, uh, you know, okay, throughout your pre-existing conditions and all that, and, Tom, you have to realize that insurance companies wanted nothing to do with health insurance until the rules started getting written in their favor. Right. That's when they started saying, that. okay, now we're interested. But until then, they never wanted anything to do with it. They didn't think it made sense. They didn't think there was any reason for it until you started writing rules in their favor. So maybe we do have to start over because, like I said, we're no closer to a single-payer system, and that might have to come as in, in Canada, state-to-state or province-to-province, province, but we're no closer to it under Obamacare than we were before Obamacare. I agree with you, and I was not making the administration's argument. I was pointing out what their argument was, and, yeah, I'm, and I'm sure you, you got that nuance. And I think politically, the, the politically consequential thing about this is that actually there is a way that Obamacare or Romneycare or HART can transition yeah. into a public plan rather than a private plan, and that's having the public option so that people can choose to buy Medicare. The assault on Medicare right now is unrelenting. They just announced, my health insurance company just uh, notified me, that starting at the beginning of next year, you can no longer buy Medigap plans that do away with the, you know, with the minimum deductible when you go to the doctor or for x-rays or for lab tests. In other words, absolutely everything is going to start costing you money if you're on Medicare if you can't buy these plans F and plan C. And that won't affect me because I'm grandfathered in or anybody else who's on Medicare before the end of this year. But people who join Medicare starting next year, it's going to be much more expensive to have traditional Medicare, which is two-thirds of everybody. And, um, and all those deductibles will go away if you buy a Medicare Advantage plan, which is the privatized plans where right. the private insurance companies can cut you off if they choose to. They can, they can tightly, and not just can, actually do tightly regulate which doctors you can go to. You know, you have in-plan and out-of-plan. I mean, these are privatized policies. Most people don't even realize that they've bought a privatized policy. They think that they're still on Medicare because it's called Medicare Advantage. And this was yeah, rolled out in 2003 you know, by the Bush administration as right. a way to did destroy you know, Medicare. Did you know that Washington State is starting a public option beginning in 2021? That's great. I'm, and, and see, if California were to go single payer, I think that that would be, and there's, you know, talk about that, serious talk about that. I think, and Gavin Newsom, I know, is, or I believe is in favor of that. That would be the Saskatchewan, whether it was Saskatchewan, it went first, wasn't it? Yeah, I did accessibility testing with the website. I mean, I can't tell you what either was. It's still in progress. It's for Washington it's State's public option. Yes. Yeah. They wanted blind people to test it and see if the website works and find bugs in it, which I did. That's great. 
That's great. Paul, I got to run. We're hitting a hard break here. Thank you very much for the call and for pointing all that out. And yeah, I mean, this might present an extraordinary political opportunity for us if Trump gets what he wants, which is the destruction of Obamacare, because he's got nothing to replace it with. And we do. Or it could be a disaster for millions of people who will lose their health insurance. Well, CBD is all over the place, and there was a big news report this morning about how there's actually phony CBD stuff out there. Some of these CBD products don't even have CBD. Another good reason to buy CBD from New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals, NU Leaf Naturals CBD oil is the real thing. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people who want the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects. It's non-toxic, it's a potent pain reliever, and has anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals, NU Leaf Naturals. It's the highest quality CBD oil in the market, 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown in the USA. The only ingredient is hemp, so it remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's newleafnaturals.com, and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. I'd like to get back to the cost of health care, the okay. real cost. Okay. I purchased my health insurance through the exchange. I am just over the income limit to receive a subsidy, which is that limit is about $51,000. Mm-hmm. I am independent contractor, so I pay 20% for taxes, for um, self-employment taxes, plus by state taxes, which takes my take-home income down to $40,000. I pay $710 a month for my premiums, and I have a $7,000 deduction. Jeez. So bottom line now, is you're saying yeah, that no, the Affordable Care Act, oh, while it, you know, it's better than nothing, is not ringing your bell. Oh, it gets worse because I just was in the hospital two days ago for a medical emergency. And because I was out of state, if I had been admitted to the hospital and I did not, it was not able to find a secondary hospital with my plan, I would have been responsible for 100% of the cost of care after a predetermined set amount. It would have bankrupted me. All right. So, Margie, are you saying this by way of advocating for Medicare for All? We need Medicare for All. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot, Margie. Thanks for sharing your story. Linda in Coconut Creek, Florida. Hey, Linda, what's up? I had called you a few months ago and told you about my little fiasco working for the federal government, and uh, they sent me a $12,000 bill. I had surgery, you know, it was all in network, their hospital, their doctors, and they decided to surprise bill me. So the hospital surprise billed you? No, my insurance company. They said one of the machines that they used to do my delicate surgery, I had uh, fusion surgery in my neck. They said, well, that wasn't necessary. And of course, my surgeon goes, I can't do a surgery without it. And I'm the first patient that he said, they've not, they've decided they're not going to pay for it. And then I had another procedure done just recently. I had an, an uh, what do you call it, endoscope done. Right. And uh, they decided they were going to charge me an extra $2,000, which was the same procedure, same doctor, same place I went to as last year. This year, they, they decided they're going to charge me $2,000. Yeah. And I said, this is all, this is the insurance companies again. And I think I know why they're doing it. 
Oh, I think they, we're going to get Medicare for all. They're and doing it to jack their product. They're, they're, they're grabbing everything they can while they can. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think they know they're going to lose, and they're like, well, then let's just slap everybody with a surprise bill and let them deal with it. Yep. Amen. That's exactly, you know, I mean, I, I know what's going on. I can't be the only person. I've sent my paperwork off to my congressman. My senators are worthless. I've got Rick Scott and Marco Rubio. Oh, geez. But he's helping me as much as he could. Uh, Ted Deutsch, yeah. um, Florida, District 22. There's so he's working on it. So all we can do is try and fight back and vote. And now it turns out that there's this group that's, uh, you know, apparently hospitals, doctors, and maybe insurance companies. We're not really sure because there's this shady advocacy group that is running ads on TV saying about the surprise billing issue, but they never use the phrase surprise billing. Instead, they're saying something like, don't mess with doctors or don't get in the middle or whatever. I mean, they've got some little slogan, but basically it's don't pass legislation to stop surprise billing, which is exactly what you're getting hit with, Linda. It's obscene. Linda, thank you for the call and thanks for sharing your story with us. Pam in Sutherland, Oregon. Hey, Pam, what's on your mind today? Wondering, do you not remember when George W. Bush, another illegitimate president, passed into law that you cannot negotiate drug prices under Medicare? Yeah, that was the Medicare Part D Act. I think that was in 2003 yes. or five, one or the so, other, but it was right around So that. this is where all this is coming from. Yep. You know. And um, Billy Towson was the guy in the House of Representatives who shepherded that through, through the House. Uh, he represented a, a district in Louisiana, and he got permission from the Speaker of the House at the time, and, and um, I'm not sure who it was. There's been so much turnover in the Republican speakers ever since Hastert. But anyhow, he got permission, and it might have been Hastert, he got permission from the Speaker of the House to leave early, to resign, and yet still get all his full government benefits so that he could take a job for $2 million a year as the head of pharma, the pharmaceutical company's lobby, right after he was the floor manager for the, for the uh, Medicare Part D bill. Well, you know, you need that extra cash if all you're making is $2 million. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well you said, You know, Pam. really, get real. Yeah, amen. Pam, so, thanks a lot for the call. So Good anyway, blame the Republicans, every one of them. There you and go. any Democrat that's standing behind them now and not getting on it, I can't vote for them. Yeah, it's like a RICO operation, what's going on over there. Pam, thanks a lot for the call. Catherine in McHenry, Illinois. Hey, Catherine, what's up? I am on disability. I had three spine surgeries. I have a degenerative bone disease. So I go to see a doctor. And this is what I want to tell you. When they say free Medicare for all, I should be a person that would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yet I'm not cheering it. You know why? I go to see my doctor and he spends 15, one five. That's a long visit. Right. Okay. They're always in a hurry. I mainly go for prescriptions. And then I get a summary from Medicare, and it's $250 for visit, and it clearly says time allotted 60 minutes, six zero. Oh, really? So I don't know. This well, you should, uh, you Catherine, want. if that's the case, you should contact Medicare and tell them that you may have an instance of Medicare fraud here because doctors are supposed to bill Medicare for the time that they spend, not the time that they want to bill for. I mean, that's actually a crime. And Medicare aggressively, I'm not sure they're paying bounties, but they aggressively are looking for people to tell them when they've been ripped off. Nora in Sandy, Oregon. Hey, Nora, what's on your mind today? Oh, yeah, Tom. Well, a couple things. 
One, I had to cancel my health care this year because I was paying Kaiser. I work for myself, and for my husband and me, it was like over $1,900. And I said, I A can't month? afford it. Holy oh, yeah. Cow. And I said, you got to go get a job. So I sent him out to try to get a job, and he didn't He didn't live long enough to get a job. He needed that health care, apparently. So, oh, yay. No. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. Hello. I'm, I'm sorry. Nora, <laughs> so, seriously, your husband died? He died. He had high blood pressure, and he had cholesterol, and he didn't take his meds. Oh, my. And uh, he, uh, you know. We yeah. wouldn't have probably gotten covered anyway in some kind of lawsuit because he wasn't, you know, doing what he was supposed to do for himself. Yeah. He kept trying to do something naturally, and he, you know, he was eating yeah. meat. Uh, <laughs> All I get of it. the above. Let's not go into that. Anyways, I, I canceled my health care. I can't get health care, even though I want to pay for it because I canceled it. I can't get it until January. Amazing. I can't buy into health care until January. Amazing. I just want to say I realized yesterday I was completely traumatized by the Kavanaugh situation yeah. from last year, and I was blocking it. I was trying to just forget about it, and he's back. Yeah. You know, I went to school with those people. I yeah. went to school in no, Atherton. No doubt about it. Nora, i got to run, but thank you for the call, and I'm sorry to hear about your husband. Thanks for sharing your story with us. So this is, uh, you know, timely. It's from the dailystar.co.uk. There's a heads up about it from left of center 2012 over at DU. More than 134 people have been brutally executed in Saudi Arabia so far this year by beheading and crucifixion, including six who were just kids when they were arrested. This was a report presented to the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva. Uh, there are further 24 people at imminent risk of execution. Among those executed this year are three women and uh, 51 people who are facing drug charges that would be considered minor offenses elsewhere in the world. 58 of them were not Saudi citizens. And most were accused of spreading Shia Islam, which is a crime in the sunny state of Saudi Arabia. For example, this is a story of one of these uh, people who was killed by beheading or crucifixion. Mujahidab El-Sakwat, a uh, teenager who was set to start a new life in the U.S. studying at Western Michigan University, was arrested for attending an anti-government protest in Saudi Arabia. He was 17 years old. He was enrolled in English language and finance and was arrested at the airport on the way to the United States. He was badly beaten, including on the soles of his feet, before he confessed to crimes against the state. This is grim. I wanted to get into the issue of the attack on Saudi Arabia's oil facilities over the weekend. On the line with us is the president of the National Iranian American Council, NIAC, N-I-A-C, Jamal Abdi. NIAC.org, N-I-A-C.org is the website, and uh, you can tweet them at NIA Council or Jamal is uh, J-A-B-D-I on Twitter. Jamal, welcome back to the program. 
Glad to be here, Tom. Give us a summary, basically, of what we know at this point. I mean, we've got this uh, headline from the Washington Post here. The Saudi oil attacks are signs of Trump's Mideast fiasco. This is Max Boot's place. And he says, basically, Trump's Middle East policy has failed. At the root of the problem is Trump's decision to outsource Middle East leadership to Israel and Saudi Arabia. In your opinion, is that really at the core of this? First of all, what happened and what do we make of it? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unpack. What happened was there was a attack on two Saudi facilities that will significantly disrupt the flow of oil. It's already having a pretty significant impact on those markets. And the Houthis of Yemen, who are currently involved in a civil war in which Saudi, with the support of the United States, has been bombing and has helped create the world's greatest humanitarian disaster, the Houthis claimed credit for it. But the United States, uh, in Mike Pompeo, was quick to come out and say, no, this was not the Houthis. The strike was not launched from Yemen. It was launched by Iran, potentially from either Iraq or Iran. You know, if you can call it a fact pattern, I hate to use that word when it comes to Mike Pompeo. That's where we're at. I think at the risk of identifying with Max Boot, I think that's the right analysis. There's so much surveillance. There's satellite surveillance. There's air traffic control surveillance. There's all kinds of radar. Saudi Arabia has some very, very sophisticated systems that have been provided by the United States. And we should add, by the way, that the bombs being dropped on the Houthis that have now led to the world's greatest humanitarian crisis, millions of people suffering from malnutrition on the edge of starvation. The Saudis are bombing the port through which the food comes into the country of Yemen, among other things, that those bombs all have made in the USA printed on them. So, and nobody is suggesting, to the best of my knowledge, that the United States is directly bombing Yemen, although we have been assisting the Saudis in an assistance that I find pretty, pretty horrific. But isn't there enough, you know, radar surveillance that if it's true that these uh, drones or these missiles, whichever they are, apparently drones, were launched from either Iraq or Iran, that the Saudis would be able to say, here, here's the documentary evidence. Here's the, here's the video or the screenshot or whatever of our radar. You can see it. You can see where it came from. I mean, if it was the case, wouldn't it take them like 10 minutes to trot that out? I don't know if it would take 10 minutes. I don't know how sophisticated the attack was. Supposedly it was 10 drones that were flown in. I think, though, what you're putting your finger on is there should be some evidence that is brought forward beyond just our Secretary of State saying Iran has a motive, and so we think it's it's Iran. I mean, right. this is the same guy who says Iran was behind 9-11. You know, he'll say anything. But Pompeo instead said of that? going and making this case, we've seen nothing. Pompeo said Iran was behind 9-11? Yeah, Pompeo has attempted to link Iran with al-Qaeda because the authorization for war is for war against al-Qaeda after 9-11. So he declassified a bunch of materials, shared them with this hawkish organization to try to promote while he was at CIA. This is something very close to him. Wow. So how is this playing within Iran? I know that they've come out and said, no, we didn't do this. But beyond yeah. that... Iran is denying any involvement. I do think that, you know, Iran has provided support for the Houthis. So there's probably a good chance that there are some Iranian fingerprints on this. But the notion that Iran has command and control over the Houthis or any other group that might have been involved with this, uh, I think is a little bit gray. Right. And 
we talk about the humanitarian disaster in Yemen. There's also the fact that Iran is under these massive sanctions from the U.S. Iran is not able to export its own oil. And so, yeah, there's probably a motive for Iran to push back. But there's also this question of, well, the Iranians are actually open to negotiations. There was talk of a potential meeting between Trump and Rouhani. And I think the Iranians really wanted to see some movement on the sanctions issue before they could green light such a meeting. And now that seems to be completely off the table. Which is another strong argument for arguing that Iran had nothing to do with this. They might have sold this weaponry to Yemen on the assumption that Yemen would use it to defend itself against the Saudis locally, but that had they known that this was going to be the outcome, they wouldn't have done it at this point in time. Is that reasonable? Yeah, I think that's definitely a reasonable okay. explanation. The other thing that I find fascinating is that early on, let's say early after this happened, Trump was all over, this is all Iran's fault. And then suddenly he started dialing it back and started talking out loud about or tweeting about how America is now an oil exporting country. And it, and it hit me, maybe Trump got a phone call from some of the local you know, oil barons in the United States saying, you know, this really isn't a bad thing for us. The price of oil just went up 15, 20 bucks a barrel. We're going to make a hell of a lot more money. Why don't you just back off and, you know, just let us make our money here? Uh, what do you think of that? The problem is that Trump is really motivated to have a strong economy. And if this shock has a negative value on the economy and helps to trigger a recession in an election year, that's a big problem for Trump. Right. So I think he's juggling a series of interests that include wanting to look like a deal maker, wanting to not look like a warmonger, but to look tough, outsourcing of foreign policy in the Middle East to Saudi and the Israelis, and then the desire to be reelected and have a strong economy. And I, I don't think he's up to the task of juggling all these things. Yeah, I think the, to say the very least. So we're talking with Jerome Abdi, the president of uh, the National Iranian American Council, NIAC.org. For Americans who are calling their members of Congress and saying, please do or don't do something. For those of us who are concerned about the future of U.S. foreign policy in the region, what do you think is the most useful response to all of this? It's really important that there's a political firewall against military action. And I think that without a strong response from the grassroots, as well as in the media, there's going to be this growing acceptance by sort of the national security class in Washington that the U.S. has to respond. There were people who are often associated with the reasonable side of the debate who the last time there was this potential flare-up, they supported U.S. strikes without really understanding the implications and the fact that that would likely lead to this unraveling that could lead to an all-out regional war. So I really think, you know, for people at home, it is really important to call both your representative as well as your two senators and ask them to come out on the record and push back against any unauthorized war. They can do that now and they're not doing it. Right. And Congress, I mean, the Constitution is very clear. Congress has the power to declare war, not the president. And, you know, he's trying to use these old AUNF as authorization to use military force that, that really just don't apply here. Jamal, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Tom. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 